Good morning. How is everybody? Are you disappointed? Did you say bad? Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. I was like, well, that's very honest. Thank you for that. I'm sure some of you are disappointed to see me two weeks in a row. This never happens. So, sorry. Starting off with apologies, so that's, I'll tell you how it's going to go today. Uh, Pastor Trace, so Pastor Trace is uh, on staff here, so he uh, is our full-time guy, we like to call him here. But he's been on vacation, so normally what happens is we do a rotation. So uh, Pastor Mark, who just left on deployment, is, of course, full-time. It's, it is turned on. How's that? Check one, two. I don't know if you heard me, Chris. I was in the middle of a story. Check one, two. No? Nothing? Niner? I can use this uh, floor one. I'll just use number two down here. How's that? Okay. that any more weird. How's that? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, as I was saying before Chris Martinez interrupted me. I'm kidding. It's not right. um, yeah, normally Trace does two in a row, then we, we rotate. In case you've ever picked up on that pattern, what happens here is because uh, it does take a lot of prep time to you know, prepare a message, a lot of reading, a lot of study. So as Trace said, he was on vacation. So you all have the lucky job of hearing me two weeks in a row. So, with that being said, let's open our Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in John 16. We're not going to start there, but you can kind of prep for this. And while you're getting there, let me just say a short prayer. We'll get kicked off here. And uh, I think this is going to be a good day. This, uh, I think the Lord has something good for us in his word. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we humble our hearts before you, Lord God. We thank you. Uh, as always, Father, as we're about to partake in your word. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our eyes with... As we're going to read, that you are going to lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, would you reveal your word to us, uh, Father? Uh, be exalted again in this house through this uh, message. And let ears be opened, let eyes see, Father. Let the heart and hearts be softened. And Lord, uh, would you just do a work in all of us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing is last week, I also promised you there were those gnats, the little flies would be gone. I lied to you. Um, I've already swallowed two, so if it helps, I'm doing my part to, uh, to get rid of these things, so I apologize about that. Okay, by way of recap, so um, I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but we have to set the stage. Some of us weren't here, and I, I want to get us back in the world of Jesus, right, like what's happening here. So two weeks ago, Pastor Trace preached uh, Jesus, he's, he, this is kind of his farewell discourse, right, like he's getting ready, like we're leading to the cross now. And he tells his disciples, he's, he reiterates just several times the importance of love, right? So he tells the disciples, like, people will know you belong to me because of the love you have for people, right? Like, love is it. Like, this, this is the thing we're doing. This is what is going to be the hallmark of a believer in Jesus Christ is one thing. And what is that? Love, right? Is it signs? Is it arguing on Facebook? No. No. What is the hallmark of a Christian? love. That's right. Okay, I think you got that. And then what happens then is then last week, what we went over, is Jesus immediately turns the script and says, for all this love you're going to give, here's what you're going to get in return. What does the world give back for all the love? Hate. Hate. Right? And I mean, this is, it shouldn't surprise us, but Jesus warned everybody. He says, look, 
Do not be surprised if the world hates you, is what the text says. It says, because it hated me first. It hates me, and therefore, because you belong to me, it's going to hate you, right? Look at all the love. And then we saw that we were sent into this world that hates us, right? So we are commanded to love the very thing that hates us and wants to destroy us. We also saw that hate can never conquer hate, and only love can defeat the world's hatred. And Jesus admonishes us to love above all else. Now, I mean, we hit that pretty hard last week, but you have to remember that. Because when we, if we kind of use, I didn't get into it too much, but if we use the example of a protest, right? I've always thought the one thing the government or anybody wants you to do in a protest is to get violent. You know why? Because they can use violence against you, right? The moment you do something, ow! I'll tell you my only war story as an Air Force guy. This is a great example. I have one war story. Nine years. And it wasn't even me. It was the U.S. Marines. I saw it do something really cool. I was sitting on a bus in uh, uh, Bosnia. And uh, it was a Marine Ford location. And so we get there, and then they give us, uh, because we're Air Force people, they give us all the oversized flak jackets and helmets don't fit, so we just look like Barney Fife and a bunch of doofuses. <laughs> And it's just really comical. It's like, uh, here comes the clowns. They load us up on this bus. But what happens is outside of this gate is, I, I forgot the, the group that was rioting, right? But they were yelling, and the Marines were all out there with their shields. It was really a sight to behold. It was like, man, thank goodness I'm on the side of this bus. And there's a bunch of armored Marines in the front of the bus ready to, like, you know, when I duck under, they're going to go to work. But I remember everyone's shouting, and they got the big riot shields up. And I remember somebody grabbed a shield. And this is like, I'm sitting out, looking out the window, and somebody pulls the shield like this, one of these movements, right? And they, they hit the Marines. They start popping on the Marine there. And I hear a whistle blow, and all the Marines push forward like this, and then the sticks come out. I was like, this is awesome, right? And then it wasn't awesome what I saw after that. But then we got out of there. And those guys would have been fine. The Marines wouldn't have had to use any kind of force if that one guy hadn't done that one thing, right? And I just had to tell you my war story. Pretty awesome, huh? I got a commendation medal for that tour, by the way. <laughs> I ended up playing a lot of volleyball. It was a lot like uh, Top Gun. Anyway, that is a true story. Ask me to tell you about that later. But that's the idea how the world wants to do is The world wants to issue you all this hate because you know what they're trying to do is they have one play. Is if I can get you to hate me back, if I can get you to fight back, we're the same. right? You have tainted your witness. You've ruined everything. Right? And what did Jesus do when he was led to the cross? kept his mouth shut, right? We can all learn the lesson from that. If you don't have something nice to say, what did our parents tell us? How many here has done more damage by weighing in on things? This is my MO. I've got an opinion on everything, trust me. And it only does me harm, right? If I tell you what I think about politics or religion or COVID or Fauci or Trump or Biden, right? i got an opinion on everybody. Ask me about it. i got an opinion on Warren G. Harding, right? What did you think about the Harding administration, Michael? <laughs> Let me tell you about his labor secretary, like this client, right? But the point is, is ultimately I'm going to hurt somebody, right? And then I have to be very, in a, in a highly charged climate, I just got to be careful, right? Because above all else, I am to love. And I am, the, uh, uh, Corinthians tells us that love does not insist on its own way. Right? Okay. Again, I don't want to preach last week's message. That's what we were talking about. In James 3, 9 and 10, our first scripture, 
It says, with, uh, with it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brother, these things ought not to be so. I didn't bring the scripture up last week. As soon as the message was over, it's like, oh, I forgot one. Our mouth is our biggest enemy right now. And I wanted to give you this as a freebie, right, when it comes to hatred and love. And it is the Christian's mouth, right? We're not concerned with the world's mouth because their mouth is already polluted, right? It's already meant by design to spew hatred, right? Jesus told us the world will hate you, right? They will say things that offend you and they will hurt you. And I've got news for you. It's only going to get worse, right? So when we come to church and we bless God and then tomorrow morning we start to curse people, are you doing it right? Are you behaving like a Christian? No. A real Christian does not do that. Right? I'm not saying the emotions won't come. I'm not telling you people aren't stupid. I'm not telling you this isn't the world we live in, right? But what is your job? Love. Love and to stop talking. Okay. Excellent, excellent, excellent. This is all going to come into play with what we're going to do today. James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm hitting this again is because we're going to see we're sent out into a world that hates us. We have to be remindful of this. If you are going to accomplish what the Spirit wants us to do, your anger and hatred in the world will never produce the righteousness of God. It just can't. Right? By design, it will not. What does produce it is meekness, is love, is preferring one another, it's prayer. Pray for those who persecute you. Right? Okay, we got the point? Good, 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 good. And then one last a bit of housekeeping from last week, and this will be important. We define the world. So when we said that the world will hate you, we defined it two ways. One is in the Jewish world, in, in context, we're looking at the Jewish religious system as what Jesus had called the world, right? So those that are around him, those that are close. We also defined it as this world system. It's a way of doing things. Really, it's Satan's kingdom, right? It's this thing that we all live under. We call it the world. The Bible says all the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, all that is in the world is not of the Father, it is of the devil, the Bible says. So all these things that we want to consume, right, all these things that we lust after and we want, that's what the Bible really defines the world as. It's a wicked power structure. It's greed. It's, it's hatred and envy. Does that make sense? Can you guys all see you? So when we say, hey, this is a worldly person, It'd be nice if we just meant well travel, but what we mean is they are about lusts. They're about everything, right? Okay, good. So now let's get into our text. This is, uh, we're going to start here. This is chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to read the whole text. This is the first 15 verses here. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whomever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, underline that their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so let's look back. Let's start. Let's go through this text. And like we said last week and every week, is when we have a chunk of text, there's so many directions we can go with it, right? Like, we could spend an hour on each line and dissect it, and what does it mean? And really what we always try to do when we preach is we want to stay true to the context of the passage, right? Like what is Jesus talking about? What did it mean to these people? And then what we want to do is we want to apply it to us, right? So the Bible says that everything was written for our admonition, right? Like these things were written for us. It's not just a history book, right? It's, good, it's fun to learn history. But this is history that has a real-world application for today, right? So let's look at this. Let's go back to 16.1. It says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. That's what the ESV says. Now, this word falling away can trip us up because that means, like, does that mean to leave the faith? Like, some, has anyone ever heard once saved, always saved? Like, have you heard the idea, can I lose my salvation? Can I keep my salvation? That is not what this text is talking about here. There's other texts that actually talk about it, but right now, this word, ESV calls it falling away, it really means to stumble. Uh, the King James says to offend, right? Do, uh, I've said all these things to keep you from being offended. And John 6, 61, he uses the same word here. It says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured. Now, he's talking about, he had just said the famous, if you don't drink my blood and eat my body, right? And everybody got super offended. It's like, okay, this is weird. And he says, Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it. And he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Does this offend you? Right? That's the same way. Does this cause you to stumble? Does this cause you to want to fall away? Does this make you want to, like, say, time out on this whole thing and go away? In John 6, 66, it says, For the time, from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Falling away or stumbling in this context is not talking about losing your salvation. It's just causing, it's like, man, this is something hard. And... It's not a permanent walk away, right? Has anyone ever been in the faith and then they just stopped going to church for a while? Just kind of went away from it. You heard something or you had an experience with somebody. That's offense. That's what is falling away, what stumbling is. It's not necessarily a permanent state. Now, it can lead to a permanent state, right? And again, that's not what we're talking about today. But Jesus says, look, I've told you the world will hate you because it is possible for you to be so offended it causes you to stumble, right? Has anyone ever just been, you became a Christian and you're surprised at the amount of hate you get for becoming a Christian? Did anyone experience that? I think I told you last week when I got saved, my dad accused me of being in a cult. Nobody really wanted to talk to me anymore, right? And I wasn't a super preachy guy. I'm just, I'm a weirdo by nature. I was like, hey, go to church now. Jesus saved me. This is what's going on in my life. Yeah, you're in a cult. Stop talking. That's pretty, pretty much how that conversation was, right? And it hurt my feelings. And I, I told you last week about my parents. And my mom still apologizes for that. She goes, I remember when your dad did that. 
And she goes, it hurt my heart. And my, my mom was very submissive in that area to my father. And uh, she's like, I remember when you did that, and it hurt. Like, I could tell the hurt on your face and your, your, your wife's face when you're doing it. So. Interesting. It's going to happen. Now, it's important to remember that the hatred that will be received from the world is harsh enough to cause serious offense. And it's serious enough that Jesus would warn against it. We should take comfort in the fact that he warned us. But remember, right now, I think most of us haven't experienced extreme persecution or hatred yet. Right? People haven't broken out your windows for your faith. Right? They, they haven't caught your business on fire. You haven't been fired for your faith. But there very well could be a date and time when this happens. Right? The scripture says this is just a reality. And if we're being honest, most of history has experienced that. That people will die for their faith. Right? Proclaiming the name of Jesus leads to ramifications. And the United States of America is in a weird period. The last 150, 200 years, it's pretty much been persecution-free. Like, the United States has sent out a lot of missionaries. We've pushed the gospel out to a lot of foreign places. And God's hand has definitely blessed us. But do these things last forever according to history? No. Do we have, and these things always seem to happen very quickly, right? When it's like, oh man, persecution is coming. So in the rest of the world, we could, we could talk at length about people that are dying daily for the name of Jesus. So to be forewarned, right, is to know these things. When these things come and people start hating you for what you believe you were going to church, the first thing that the flesh wants to do is to get offended. Is to maybe, maybe I shouldn't go to church. Maybe I shouldn't be so vocal about it. I want you to think back to this message. Jesus warned me that the hatred of the world could cause me to stumble. Okay. We jump down to verse 4. He says, But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, I had you highlight that or underline it because this is going to be a linchpin to understanding something very, very big in the Bible. He says, When their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay. You've heard me preach before that Jesus is always talking about his hour. Do you remember when he did the, uh, the water and the wine? Does anyone remember reading about that miracle? Yes, most of us. And remember Jesus' mom says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And what was Jesus' response? My hour has not yet come. And then if you just look up the word hour, Jesus is always talking about my hour, my hour, my hour, my hour. And then right before these texts, remember Jesus said my hour is here. And so we define the hour is that this moment that Jesus knows he's going to die. This is the hour, right? Like, this is, I mean, that's exactly what it means. And Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet, so when he told his mom, my hour's not here, he's like, you, if I do this miracle, you starting a clock that's going to lead me to the hour, right? Nobody knew who he was yet. He hadn't done any public miracles. And his mom says, yeah. And Jesus like, it's not my hour, woman. You don't, you don't know what you're asking. Because the moment I do a miracle, God starts that stopwatch. So you will die. He knows it. He knows he was born to die. So now, Jesus has been talking about this for chapters and chapters. My hour, my hour, my hour. It's a major theme that runs through John. And now he changes it and says, their hour. It's like, wait a minute. I thought it was Jesus' hour. It's also somebody else's hour. So we gotta, we got to investigate this. Let's go to Luke 22:53. Look at this. 
I was with you the day after. Uh, I was with you day after day in the temple. He's being arrested right now, just so you know what's happening here. And it says, "You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness." So now we have to figure out who is the "your" in this statement. Let's go back to Luke twenty-two fifty-two. It's just a verse before. It says, "Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple, and the elders who had come out against him." Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? And then 53, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So now he's saying that this hour belongs to the religious leaders and to the spiritual forces. Did you, did you catch that? Who did we define the world as? The religious leaders and who? The spiritual forces. Did you catch that? I'm going to need to show hands. Does everyone, I, I don't want to, I want to make sure you understand this because I will re- say it again. Raise your hand if you understood what's happening. We define the world as the religious people. Jesus called the, the religious system the world. We also define the religious system as Satan's kingdom, right? It causes us to lust. It causes blindness as darkness. Jesus just said this hour belongs to the religious system and to the spiritual wickedness. He's basically saying this hour belongs to the world. He said, this is my hour, this is the world's hour, right? It's so dark, right? They're going to crucify the Lord of glory. The world, if you're tracking what's happening here, the world is about to kill Jesus. Jesus dies for the sake of the world, right? So, man, it's going to get really, really good. Who would have known the words their hour was going to lead to this rabbit trail we are about to embark on right now? This is going to be awesome. At least I think it's awesome. Okay. So, later on, there's a guy that gets saved. His name is Paul. Has anyone ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Probably the most famous guy in the Bible besides Jesus, right? Let's go to Acts 26, 15. He's telling a story. telling the story when he met Jesus and how he got saved. He said, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I appear to you, in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from the, from who? Who are Paul's people? He's a Pharisee, right? Is Paul a religious figure? He said, I will deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Remember the Gentiles, so that's the rest of the world, right? This is a system that is under darkness. So he's being sent to who? The world. You see how they're always married together, the religious system and the spiritual world system, right? They're always married together. And it says, your job is to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Who are they under right now? Satan, right? Who is the God of this world? Who is the God of the darkness? According to John 1, we have seen a great light. A light has come into the world, and this light is the life of men. He gives life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. He's this light, right? And he's his job then is he's moving people from one kingdom to another kingdom. The kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Amen. Now, we have to understand something here, is the grand narrative of the Bible is God's kingdom. The major theme, if, if you asked me, if I was on Jeopardy, God rest his soul, Alex Trebek, who will forever be my Jeopardy host, says, you know, and the question is, what's the major theme of the Bible? I wouldn't ring in and say God or Jesus or salvation. I would say the kingdom of God, because that is the correct answer. The Bible is about a kingdom, right? How is this kingdom lost, and how is this kingdom going to be regained? Now, Matthew 24, 14 when Jesus is giving us the Great Commission, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When we define the word gospel, a lot of people take that to mean that Jesus saves. Well, that's a piece of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. You know that the gospel is so much more than Jesus saved. Did you know that? Have you ever heard that? It's the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus showed up on earth, he hadn't died yet. And he, what was Jesus proclaiming? He was proclaiming the good news. How did he proclaim the good news? He's like, the kingdom of God is here. If I drive out demons by the hand, by the Son of God, the kingdom has come upon you. The good news is the fact is God's kingdom is here on earth now. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, we can't partake of the kingdom without being born again. So it's a piece of it, right? We want to understand these things. So the grand narrative of the Bible is God's kingdom has arrived and it has defeated Satan's kingdom. So let's not get too far away from the idea that Jesus said their hour has come, right? He said, the world is going to hate you. They're going to think by killing you, they're doing God a favor because their hour has come. Now, the whole plan of this hour is that God, when we approach this hour, will be able to remove people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We go back to the very beginning, Genesis, right? God has a good world. God created a good world. He said this is good. He makes this thing. He puts people in it. And he blesses. And he gives, he crowns the pinnacle of his creation, this man and this woman. And he gives them authority. So much authority, they get to name all the animals, right? God tells them to subdue the earth. Multiply, fill this earth up, right? God is, he's bringing his kingdom to this planet. And he's giving instructions and and he loves man. He puts them in the garden. He communicates with them. And they walk together. And they're one. They're a family. Right? There's no separation between them. And sin comes in the world. The Bible says the serpent of old, that old dragon Satan, who deceived mankind. He comes in and he tricks mankind. And he causes a wedge between us and God. Now, if you read, this is interesting. Did God leave right away? No. He's still dealing with man. Even immediately. So, Adam and Eve have two kids. Do you remember their kids? Cain and Abel. Do you remember what happens with these kids? One's a murderer, right? Cain murders Abel. Before Cain murders Abel, God shows up. He's talking to Cain. So this is interesting, right? So sin is already there, and has God ever left us? No. Some people like to say sin comes and God takes off. God never leaves us, even in our sin, even at our lowest point. The Bible says even if we made our bed in hell, he's there, right? It doesn't matter what you're going through. The Bible, time after time, God never leaves his creation. Never left us. So Cain's about ready to kill Abel. He knows what's going on. God shows up and says, Cain, sin is knocking at the door, and you must rule this thing. Right? You've got to kill this thing before it kills you. And of course, Cain kills his brother. 
God is always warning us. So what happens is, is this dark kingdom of darkness is like a plague. It is affecting God's good world. And it runs through the world like a plague. Right? So much so now that every human being that is born into this planet is born into the kingdom of darkness. That before this plague came, that anyone born into the kingdom was born into the kingdom of light. Adam and Eve's first two kids, were they born into darkness or light? Light. Right? Because they were light. They were serving their God. But what happens eventually is, is man, you know this, but man gets more and more wicked. And we get darker and darker. And we get further and further from God. The Bible says at the right time that Jesus came to die for us, right? He, he has to find a way out of this thing. Because now this world, this actually happens in Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, heading up to Deuteronomy 32, is God, the Bible says he disinherits the world. He gives them over, the Bible says, to demons, to foreign powers. He says, but I'm going to keep one country for myself. Does anyone know who this country would become? Who? Israel. So God said, I'm going to keep one. I'm going to give the rest up to demons. I'm going to give it up to spiritual darkness. He says that in Deuteronomy 32. Like, we're literally 100 pages in the Bible, and God's like, here you go. You can have it. Because they're so wicked, right? And God says, okay, now I have to come up with a plan. So this is the big story of the Bible. How is God going to reclaim the nations and reestablish his kingdom? When he does, and he surprises everybody, he sends the king to have him killed. What a plan, right? That's the plan. And he calls it their hour, right? And he said, this is how I'm going to get my kingdom back, is you're going to kill the king. <laughs> the king comes, and because they killed an innocent man, right, God now has the legal authority, and now the light spreads like a plague. But through the preaching, through the spirit of God, we come in, we are born again, we are new creations. And just like sin spread through the world and corrupted everything, so now the Holy Spirit spreads through everything, cleaning everything, bringing many sons and daughters to life. You see what happened? This is reverse, how the Bible starts and how it ends. It's just a complete reversal of each other. We start with the kingdom, we end in the kingdom. And it gets really ugly right in the middle. And where we're at is we're right towards the end of it. After Jesus' death, life and light is now being spread back out through the world. Our hour. Amen? Okay, let's understand a couple things. Let's, let's keep moving. So Jesus told us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. We read that in Matthew 24. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. When people say, why did Jesus come to the earth? And you say, oh, to, to save us. You're incomplete. You're not wrong. You're incomplete. According to this, why did Jesus come? There you go. It's Everything we know about Christianity is so much bigger and grander than we talk about. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The good news is that God has destroyed the works of the devil. The work, you, you, and maybe it's weird saying the devil, right? Because most people are like, oh, you mean the guy with horns and the pitchfork? You could say the wickedness that is in the earth. You don't have to be a believer to understand that there is real evil at work in this world. The Son of God has manifested that he might destroy the evil that is in this world. Right? It's like, well, why is it still here? We can talk about that. Right? Let's keep reading. Let's read another verse, Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through his death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus came to earth to destroy death. By dying, he is destroying death. 
right? Because he had to take it from someone who had power, who had the power of death. The Bible says Satan had it, the spiritual wickedness. This is the power that he exerts over all of us. Does anyone here really look forward to dying? Does the world have a great fear of dying? We spend all of our money to stay alive, right? This is something he holds on to that Jesus has robbed him of. Friends, we don't die. We won't die. Our flesh will, but uh, we won't. Does that make sense? Okay. So Jesus, he showed up to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus showed up to destroy death. Just in case you think I'm a heretic, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's who, of whom I am the foremost. Of course he was manifest that he might just save us. Right? Because if we leave that out, then the story is also incomplete. Right? There is no kingdom without the salvation of the inhabitants of the kingdom. That we were all too far away from God, right? We, could, we can't save ourselves. We, we can't pay enough money. We can't do enough good deeds. The Bible says it's impossible. There's one thing we must do to be saved, and that is to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Believe, confess. You believe in a king who died for his kingdom. And if we believe that he made that ultimate sacrifice, that he took our penalty, the Bible says we actually died with him. So that hour Jesus talked about, my hour, their hour, the Bible says technically we died with him at that hour. The penalty for sin was taken by him at that hour. When darkness thought it was their hour that they won, we killed the Son of God at the very beginning. When God shows up after Adam and Eve's sin, he looks at the serpent and he pronounces a judgment. He says, you will crawl on the belly all the days of your life and you will eat dirt. And then he says, the seed of the woman will crush your seed. So from day one, this Satan character, this serpent, has been looking for the person that will come from the woman that will crush his head. Is it maybe any wonder that Cain killed Abel? Have you ever thought about that? He's like, oh, this is happening right away. So the man and the woman, they have children. And he says, well, the seed of the woman is going to crush my head. So he tricks Cain into killing Abel. Right? What happens? How many times in the Bible did they slaughter all the male children? They saw the stars. And the first response of leaders is, we've got to start killing male children. You know why? It's because eventually the woman will have a son that will crush the serpent's head. And he's not playing around. He knows that if the most high God has spoken this, he's got to, the only way I'm going to save my life is to kill this guy. The Bible says, had they known what they were doing, they never would have crucified him. Right? Because eventually, they think it's their hour. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And they're like, we got him. He didn't kill me. We're going to kill this guy. Right? Like, I just killed whatever just landed on my face. We're going to kill him. And Jesus dies. And what happens when he raises from the grave, all the spiritual authorities, the Bible says, he led them captive. They're like, what just happened? Right? How is this dude coming back to life? And then when he comes back to life, people that believe in him all get born again. We get new life. This is a nightmare scenario for the, the kingdom of darkness. And that's why Jesus, he had to die at the right time. He was hiding from people, right? He, he would grow crowds and he would shrink them down. God has done this so masterfully. This is awesome. Okay. I love talking about the big macro plan is amazing. It's so awesome. Sometimes we get lost in the weeds and we want to fight about little things. But if you think about what God is doing in this world, and it answers the question, like, why does evil still happen? Why do all these things? The plans of God are so big in scope. 
It doesn't just end with us getting saved. If, if, if all the gospel of the kingdom was is us getting saved, if someone got saved, they should just be raptured or die. They could just take off and be with God. But there's a lot more going on here. God is vanquishing a kingdom. He's making the kingdom of darkness suffer immeasurably the losses. He's watching sand run out of his hand. The Bible says, he, he, we're going to read it, but he says, the, the God of this world is judged, right? God is carrying out this awesome plan. Everything is playing out in reverse, just like the plague hit us at the beginning of sin. The plague of righteousness is spreading to humanity. Amen? It doesn't look like it. Trust me, it doesn't look like it, but it is awesome. Now, Satan is not mad that you're saved. He's angry that his kingdom is being destroyed. Do not be deceived in thinking that you are that important. The Bible says he blinds the mind of the unbelievers so they, they won't believe the gospel. But it's not because you're that great. He's watching his kingdom fall away, right? You and I are not that important. But what is important to him is his hold on this world, right? That he wants the worship of Adoration of men. The world's hatred to you is because you serve a new king and not third king. The Bible says our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. It is not that person that you hate on Facebook. It is the spirit behind that person. Right? That unregenerate soul is designed to hate those that are born of light. I know this sounds weird. If you're a new Christian, you're like, man, this guy's really gone off the deep end. What I'm telling you is your enemy is not your brother or your sister that are also made in the image of God. Did you know that Muslims are made in the image of God? Did you know that Democrats are made in the image of God? Did you know that Republicans are made in the image of God? Right? Did you know that Independence, Ralph Nader, right? We can go down the list. All, every human being that has come into this world, every tongue, tribe, or nation, Every color, every everything. If you're a human, you are made in the image of God. Did you see the big plan of the enemy right now? When he divides us and causes us to hate? When you stop praying for those that persecute you and hate you? When you lash out with your tongue? You stop the light. You stop the advancement of the kingdom. You cause offense. Remember, Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It can cause you to be offended and to stumble. But do you realize that you might be putting a stumbling block in front of other people from coming to the light? That it goes both ways? We don't want to be offended, but we also don't want to offend. And the Bible talks more about us offending than it does being offended. We have the truth. The Spirit is in us. We are the light. We are the city set on a hill, he says. And then we log into Facebook and we tell people to pound sand. You're an idiot because you think this. Here's why you're a loser. I don't have a Facebook and that, that is by design because I would be calling people losers. I'm not judging you because I'm a terrible human being. You ask my wife. I, a very, I can be a very judgmental person. Like, you know what so-and-so did? This really, this really grinds my gears here. Difference is I just don't put it out online. My poor wife has to put up with it. And then she reminds me, oh, you're supposed to be a Christian. Let's pray. She did that a couple days ago. Let's pray for this person. Like, Woman, <laughs> my hour has not yet come, to be nice. Right? <laughs> so if you're feeling condemnation for this is, I, I do the same thing, friends. And I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for decades. And I'm still learning, right? 
But what we want to do is we want to seek God. And if you struggle with this, get on your face and ask for help. We're going to find out that's why he gave us this Holy Spirit. Because we can't do it alone. By nature, the Bible says this flesh we live in will never change until it dies. It's sad, but it's true. We're still going to be struggling up until the moment we give up our last breath. Did anyone ever, especially the guys here, did you get saved and and say, oh, I I think I will no longer lust after other women. Did it happen like that? No one wants to say anything because I've been sitting there with their wives. No, it doesn't happen like that, right? You've got to start controlling these things. So it is with our tongues. So it is with hatred. So it is with all these things. This is what we need. Amen? Okay. So we're talking about the world's hatred and our love in return here. Now, let's keep moving on here for time's sake. Verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, underline your advantage, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, that's important. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever, I'm sorry, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare to you. Now, first we have to understand is the spirit's role in this world, right? So this world that hates us, this world that we are sent out into, this, our job is to love, but the Spirit has a very distinct role. In verse 8, it says, When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. See, friends, it is the Holy Spirit's job is to convict this world of their sin. Did you notice that it is not your job? Now, sometimes we have to have hard conversations about sin, but where does the conviction come from? So if you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus and sin... What should your prayer look like before approaching this person? Whose job is it to convict of sin? That's right. right? So if you're going to partner with God and you want to have a, a conversation and a brother and sister's sin. Now the Bible says, it goes, if you go to somebody, go to them with love right, and humility. We should never be pointing out someone's sin because you're high and mighty. Brother, I happened to see your car outside of a strip club last week. Notice I only looked at Karma. Karma's car was not out there. And you come there, you know, any kind of judgment or something like that. Is that of God? Does God like that approach? Let's just be honest with you. you know, sometimes we need tough love and intervention. I'm not saying that. But the reality of it is, is the Holy Spirit is the one who does this work on the inside of us. And it's something really, when we convict someone, if we want to make someone feel bad about their sin, is that sin, does that feeling bad lead to repentance, according to the Bible? No, you just made someone feel bad. Is anyone here good at making people feel bad? Yeah, I can do that too. It's not a good habit, but it's, uh, it's something people do, right? Uh, I, I'm not proud of it, but I can make you feel pretty bad if I wanted to. But godly repentance comes from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit does something on the inside of you, and it, it's different. Feeling bad and repenting are two different things. Right? Let him do his job is what I'm saying. If you're going to approach a brother and sister... Remember, he's sent in this world to do exactly that. And the Holy Spirit is so wonderful. He's not trying to make you feel bad. God does not want you to like feel terrible. He wants to lead you to repentance. 
He wants to restore you. And repentance sometimes makes us feel bad because we have to talk about some ugly things we've done. But the end result is what matters. Justification. Restoration. Forgiveness. Mercy. All the things he does. All the things that we are incapable of. Amen? The Spirit's role is, is righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father, it says. The Holy Spirit witnesses through us the right standing we have with God because of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. The Holy Spirit witnesses the judgment of the fallen kingdom of Satan. Greater is he who is in me than what? Say that again. Greater is he who is in me than... Right. Have you ever heard that before? Hopefully that scripture is making a little more sense now. There is a spirit in this world. And the one who lives inside you is greater than that spirit. Because he's convicted that spirit. You're judged. You have no legal authority. All this language here, if we really wanted to geek out about it, is legal language. The Holy Spirit in us is greater than the one who would like to condemn and judge you. Amen? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convicts us of sin. We repent of sin. We are made righteous. We are not condemned or judged. But the world is judged. Amen? Oh, this is good stuff. I'm excited about it. Now we also see in verse 13 that the Spirit has a role in the believer. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. See, friends, the Holy Spirit's job is to enlighten us to the Word. Right? The true meaning of it. Into truth. Now, Jesus called himself the truth. You see how the Spirit also calls himself the truth? Did you see that? They are one. It's all the same. Jesus said, look, it's better that I go away. Let's wrap with this final big picture here. Jesus says, look, their hour is coming. Here comes the hate machine, right? Like, I'm, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill you. They're going to hate you. Your job is to respond with love. My spirit is going to do this, this, and this, and you're to do this, right? So we have this partnership now with God. He said, it's, great. it's better that I go away because I'm going to give you this helper, and he's going to live on the inside of you. So now each one of us, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, functionally have the same power as Jesus has. And every time somebody, now calm down if you're hearing I say you're greater than Jesus, you're not. We have a spirit of truth inside of us. And when we go out, that same power and authority that Jesus had, where is that residing right now? Us. Jesus was limited by space and time where he was at his, his life. Right? He says, look, he's one person in this world. And he touched a lot of lives, don't get me wrong. But when he died and this spirit now spreads to all of us, this authority and power of Jesus spreads like tentacles all over this world. And it's not because you and I are that awesome. It's because the Holy Spirit in us is that awesome. Yeah. Convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Have you ever been around somebody, like a real Christian, and you feel good in their presence? Has anyone had the privilege of being around someone that is that sanctified? Not, whole, not a holy ruler. Where you feel judged, like, oh gosh, here comes Aunt Betty. Here it comes, right? I've met maybe two in my life where, and I remember meeting them, and I, I didn't know who they were, and they introduced me, and also I just feel really good just being around them. And they're saved, and they have Christ in them. And it lifted up my spirit just being around them. I want to be around this person. I don't know you, but boy, I feel really good being around you. If you haven't had that privilege, I'm sorry that I'm not that one, but we work towards it. We're all in 
And it's phenomenal. That's the spirit that is in us. And sometimes you may not feel it, but every one of you that is saved has that same spirit in you. And you don't know the impact you're having on people when you go to work, when you live your life, when the things you say you do. Because we've had that feeling, we've been around Christians. Who's to say that you are not that one? And who's to say that God, that we all might make everyone feel like that, but he makes certain people feel it? It's the same spirit. Because the person I was around that had the spirit, it's not like they're, it's the spirit of God. It's not them, it's God. It's never been about us. And so that's what we're praying is the Holy Spirit in us. He said, look, this is better. Because everything that I have going on, you now have going on. I'm going to my Father. I know it makes you sad, but here's what's best for the kingdom. Now we take that to our lives. Why the evil? Why all these things? This hour and all? Why are we going through? Why are we doing this big grand drama? Just like Jesus, look, it's better. There's a better plan going on. There's something much more at work than what we want, than our rights, how we see the world, how we do these things. Friends, there's a big end game coming. It has to go this way. It has to. And what the, the, the more we see that, the more we want to see it. It's like, oh, I better start doing this thing right. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then what? The end will come. He's got a plan. And what is your God's plan for you? It's to love people. It's to feed the hungry. It's to clothe the naked. It's to take care of the orphans and widows. Right? It's to pray for those that persecute you. It's to turn the other cheek. Right? It's to sacrifice your rights for your brothers and your sisters. And for asking me, he's like, Pastor Mike, what's the one thing I can do today? I implore you to start praying. Pray. It's the discipline we're all missing and we're all lacking. And I would guarantee most of us, I wouldn't say all of you, but most of us are lacking in our prayer life. We're missing an important uh, self-discipline. God doesn't need you praying for hours, but he needs you to pray. Has anyone ever seen the Lord's Prayer? How long does it take to recite that bad boy? 30 seconds? Why not start your day off with that? Write it on a note card and start your day with it and end your day like that. Start small. Don't start off, I'm going to pray and fast for two hours every morning before I go to work. You're going to fail. How about you say, hey, when I get up, I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer out loud. Right? Why out loud? It's prayer. Right? It's prayer. God does hear it when you're quiet. But there's something about hearing. Faith comes by hearing, right? Praying these things. It'll, it'll do something. Trust me. Here's my last statement. And this comes from Dr. Craig Keener uh, from his commentary on John. It says, the spirit and the disciples together carry out Jesus' witness to a hostile world. The the spirit and the disciples together carry out Jesus' witness to a hostile world. If we take anything from the last two weeks, and boy, I've hit this thing over the head. I love people. And they're going to respond in hatred. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on the spirit. Because being hated on hurts. Being gossiped about hurts. Being lied against hurts. Jesus says, I know it hurts because it can offend you to make you fall away. It'll hurt so bad. If it doesn't kill you, it could drive you away from the faith. It could drive you from the church and your brothers and sisters. And if you do it alone, that's exactly what's going to happen. But he says, look, I'm going to go away and give you a helper. 
that will help you with the hatred, that will help you in bringing about the kingdom of God in your world and the greater world. Friends, rely on him. Amen? Seek him. Pray. Above all else, let's pray. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, we haven't come to it yet, and we won't get to it in John, but in Acts, that glorious day when the spirit comes like a rushing mighty wind. And John the baptizer said, you are the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. Father, would you continue to fill us with your spirit as we, we study, as we head out into this world, Lord God, to be a light, that we wouldn't hide this light, Father God, that we wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is salvation for all men, to all that would believe. Lord, we know that you're bringing in believers and disciples from all nations, every tribe and every tongue. Lord, we know that in the great day in the future that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, from your humble beginnings in that manger, from your sacrificial death on the cross, Lord, you've spread your truth and your love and your mercy and your grace through everyone that has come to believe in you. Lord, help us here at Pillar Oceanside to be this light in this community that you would fill this house with your spirit, with your love, with your grace, and with your mercy. Would you help us to do it right? In a world that is constantly being divided by hatred towards your fellow man, towards your brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to be unifiers, to be lovers of good, lovers of each other. And Lord, we know we'll be tested in this. Lord, as soon as we try to do it, we know we'll be hated. Lord, we know there'll be a way to be offended maybe even this afternoon. Help us to be reminded of what Jesus said. They hated me first. And that we're in good company when we suffer like our master. We know that we're in the way because we are experiencing what he experienced. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We bless you in this house. The church said, Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing together. So I, we think it's good to to respond to the Lord and worship for his word, lift our voices together.